Um, Jesus is calling the disciples and he has, if you read the different gospels and you try to keep track of what's happening in what order and that kind of thing, um, I think it's in Luke, it says that, and, and Matthew 10 kind of lines up with Luke 10 a little bit, but um, Jesus went and he, he went out and he prayed all night. He went out and he prayed all night long, and in the next morning is when Matthew 10 happened. So the events of Matthew 10, um, Jesus didn't do it willy-nilly or anything like that. I just realized my phone is, is armed. <laughs> um, Jesus didn't just pick his 12 disciples willy-nilly. He spent a whole night in prayer the night before he did this. And then the other cool thing is in Matthew 9, remember at the end of Matthew 9, he told the disciples, and at that point it was just maybe a couple hundred people that followed him, is what the disciples were. He told all of them, pray that God would send laborers into the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray that God would send people to to take this message out. So that's at the end of Matthew 9. Then Jesus goes and prays all night. And then he comes back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So he told them to pray that God would send out workers. And then the next day, maybe the next day, maybe two days later, those that he told to pray, 12 of them were the answer to that prayer. Isn't that exciting? Um, that, that is such a transformative way to pray for things and to think of things while you pray. Is to When you pray for something, I mean, even like Ashley and Parker, I have no idea who they are, right? But as I pray for them, I'm submitting myself to God that can I be a part of what I'm asking you to do, God? Does that make sense? When we pray for things, when, you know, God bless that guy. God, take care of those starving children in Africa that I'll never come in contact with. There's a difference between just praying and not caring and not submitting ourselves to the will of God. And there's another way of praying that is so much more alive that when we pray, we're kind of under our breath or between the words is, and if you want to use me to do that, Lord, here I am. And it'll totally transform your prayer life. It'll change the way you pray. Um, we picked out two of our houses that we live in, two of the places we live. Um, we picked out by me walking up and down streets and praying, God, bless this neighborhood. Bring your kingdom into this neighborhood. And if you want me to be a part of it, show me where to live. And, you know, bless the people in that house. And if you want me to be a part of blessing them, the people that are in that house, show me where to live around here. Give me a place to live so I can bless them, right? Um, it really, years and years ago, praying, we were praying for all the lost kids on Green River Road. 
Um, they were cruising up and down and sleeping together and just being all kinds of terrible, awful stuff on Green River Road. And there was a whole group of us, and we said, we should go out and pray for all these kids. Two weeks later, we were out evangelizing and washing their car windows with Windex and passing out candy and giving out Bibles. It's just, it changes the way you pray. Well, it changed how these guys prayed, right? A few verses ago, God, send laborers out to the harvest. And then all of a sudden, Jesus called to himself his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. It also says in Luke, when they went out on this and they came back, they all came back and they said, Jesus, every demon obeyed us. Demons just came out just at our command. And they were so just like little kids, you know, I can't believe this happened. Um, this always happens to the new missionaries, too. When, um, when they go door to door and the first time they actually like pray for somebody and the people get and the people are like, my back doesn't hurt anymore. They come back and they're like, we prayed for somebody and they got healed like right there. You know, and we're like, OK, calm down. Yes. So these 12, they prayed for it. Jesus answered it by making them it. The names of the 12 apostles are Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, which those two are mentioned together because they were probably brothers also, right? Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So this list is so awesome, and it's so awesome for today, because you get names of them, and the names of them are fine, like Bartholomew. Bartholomew was Bartholomew. We don't know much about him. He's Bartholomew. But Matthew was a tax collector, and a tax collector meant that his job meant, in the eyes of the Jewish people, he was handling idols all day long. Gold idols, copper idols, silver idols. He dealt in idols. He gave the money from all the poor Jewish people to Rome. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but about 20 years before this, there was a guy named Judas the Galilean, and he said, anybody that pays taxes to Rome, we will burn down your house. And he was a Jewish uh, revolutionary fighter. And they burned down entire neighborhoods if people paid taxes to Rome. That's how much he, they hated the Romans. Okay, And here's Matthew working for Rome, being a tax collector, taking money from people and giving it to Rome. And who else is a disciple? Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Um, all of the zealots, they were like the zealot. It was like um, it was like calling somebody a member of a political party. Like uh, he's like a tea partier. He's like a Democrat. He's like a Republican. If you said a zealot, that was a group of people. And they were known by carrying these swords that were illegal. It was illegal to carry. 
because it was a double-edged curved sword and it was made specifically for chopping off heads. That's what it was made for. So basically, Simon is like carrying a machine gun that's illegal, that's so dangerous. And why does he carry it? Because any minute now, the Messiah is going to show up and we're going to kill all the Romans with our swords. The, the top notch of these zealots could chop off four heads in one swing. That was how they bragged about how tough they were. So Simon is carrying weapons. He is so against Rome. And he is a disciple sitting down, sharing chips with Matthew, the tax collector. How awesome is that? It's because Simon the Zealot didn't have Zealot as his number one priority. He had following Jesus as his number one priority. Matthew, the tax collector, it says he left his tax. He left his job. I think it's funny that they still call him the tax collector, right? Because that would kind of be the joke. Oh, yep, I don't do that anymore. Matthew, Peter, Simon, who's called Peter. He was a fisherman. James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, were fishermen. Peter, or Andrew, Peter's brother, they were fishermen. When they brought in fish, it's, it's very, very, very possible that it was Matthew standing at the shore collecting the tax from them. So there they are. They're all following Jesus, and they've put aside all of their everything, right? Talk about putting aside their, their politics. Um, and then Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And so Jesus is the only one that knew about Judas. Jesus is the only one that knew about that. And even then, Jesus sat at the table with Judas, And um, according to where they sat at the Last Supper, Jesus was probably really close and good friends with Judas because he got to sit next to Jesus at the table. So those 12 prayed that God would send workers into the field. Jesus said, I'm glad you guys prayed for this. It's going to be you. And he sends them out. Here's his instruction. This is Matthew 10, verse 5. Go nowhere among the Gentiles. And enter no town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This bit, later on, it's going to change. But Jesus, in fulfilling prophecies from Moses and and from the law and from the prophets, he's reaching out to God's chosen people first. He's really genuinely trying to bring the Jews that have already, they've already been seeking Yahweh. They already are familiar with the law. They already are familiar with the prophets that prophesied about Jesus. He's trying to reach them first. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. How do you like that? Like, sometimes I like to daydream. Like, what would this look like? I'm just like, what if these guys pulled up out in front of Ascension Health? They pull up in front of St. Mary's and somebody's on the phone. They're like, whoa, it's those dudes. The, it's, the, uh, 
it's the, the, the communist and the Republican and the Democrat and the Chinese guy and the Asian guy and the black guy and the biker, right? Because those 12 were as mixed up crew as what I'm describing. And they all just walk into St. Mary's and heal everybody. And then they just walk out and all the doctors you know, quit their jobs, weave baskets or learn how to become accountants or something. They did it. They went out and they proclaimed the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the kingdom of heaven means a lot. It means God is ruling. God is taking over. Uh, it means that God is here with us. He's here among us, living among us, giving us what we need. And it's also saying there isn't another kingdom. So this other stuff of this other kingdom has been defeated. It's been beaten. It's been wiped out. Um, that, that it no longer has any power here. There, there's a, a really just a cool thing um, that we got to experience a little bit of in Central Asia. Since the Soviet Union fell, they fixed a day. And I don't know what the day was, but it was like, okay, September 1st, all of the money that counted for the Soviet Union is going to be worthless. And after that, we're going to have a new currency because there were all these new countries popping up. They couldn't use the, you know, the Soviet ruble or whatever because the Soviet Union didn't exist anymore. And so people had money. We're like, what, what do we do? And they rushed out and they bought flour and they bought concrete and they bought oats and they bought all the stuff that after September 1st would still be good. And then after September 1st, they sold it all for this new kind of currency. And anybody that tried to use a ruble after September 1st just got laughed at. It was worthless. Um, there were... There are for real jokes that people were using it as toilet paper because it, it was worth more than toilet paper. It was just that worthless. And um, there's a new kingdom. And this new kingdom is at hand. And the stuff of the old kingdom, right? What are they casting out? Disease, hatred, unforgiveness. Wickedness, all of that stuff is worthless. So that gives us a little lesson, right? Do I want to deal in the currency that doesn't last? Do I want to deal with in bitterness? Do I want to deal in the currency of the kingdom that has fallen, the kingdom of the devil? Or do I want to deal in God's currency, the kingdom of heaven? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey. Don't take two coats. Don't take an extra pair of shoes for the laborer deserves his food. So at this point, they were going to go and completely depend on the hospitality of the people they were talking to. They were completely dependent. How humble are you going to be if the, you know, if, if I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to try to convince you of something, but I need I need your help to just get a cup of water. I'm going to be a whole lot more humble as I talk to you. If I come in and I've got everything I need and I'm, I'm set and I don't need anything from you, I just want you to believe what I want you to believe, 
right? That's called an empire. That's what Rome did. <laughs> That's what Rome did to every place they came to. Believe what we believe. We're autonomous. We don't need you. Go be slaves. Um, Jesus' kingdom of heaven is totally different. We're, we're dependent on you. you. We are with you. We're humble. And we don't have any extra anything. We're completely dependent. That, there's something beautiful about that that still works today. Um, I have neighbors in my neighborhood that I didn't talk to very much and kind of kept cold. And, and one day I need to load the big old uh, seat out of my van. Right? And it's, this is an older van, so it doesn't do the whole transformer fold into the seat thing. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to pick this up. I got little kids. And I just went over to my neighbor and I said, hey, dude, do you have 10 minutes to help me lift a big old chair out of the back of my van? He's like, yeah. I mean, I didn't know him. He didn't know me, but he wanted to help. He sincerely was like, yes. And he comes over and he's telling me he knew how to do stuff on it that I didn't understand the levers and whatnot, but he knew all about it. We get this whole thing out. I put it down. He's like, you don't want to put it here. This is bad. The sun's going to bleach your leather, you know, vinyl, whatever. Let's put it up here. And he's like giving me all this advice. All of a sudden that opened up all kinds of communication for us. So he didn't know me. I didn't know him. All he knew was I had a zillion kids and I just bought this giant house. Right. And then he has a whole bunch of assumptions that were wrong. All I know is he's a single guy that lives in this little bitty rundown house. And then I have a whole bunch of assumptions about him, right? This built-in humility that Jesus has helped the disciples advance their message. It was part of their message. Later on, it's going to be part of their message when he says, take an extra walking stick, take an extra pair of shoes. But that's not for here. They go all over the place. They travel around. He gives these little, these little instructions about don't go house to house in one city. Stay at one place. Why would he say that? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons, right? Um, if the first house that welcomes you and you stay with them while you're advancing the kingdom of heaven in that town and then somebody that's like a nicer house and better food says, come stay at our house and you go there. Now you're being distracted. You're not advancing the kingdom of heaven. Now you're just trying to advance up the corporate ladder of who's the best house you can stay in. And these people that you started your relationship with when you first came to that city, you're not with them anymore. Like there's, it's so cool how there's so much built into this about the disciples and humility and building friendships and, and how that's how the kingdom of heaven builds. He goes down, he says, um, in verse 14, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. So this is a Jewish practice. And we, we might all, do, you guys might all do this too, which is really fun. And you don't realize it. Um, you know, when you're, you're out and you're going to Walmart and you're hitting ruler and you go to Aldi and you're doing all this stuff and you come home and what do you do before you go in the house? You wipe your feet and then you come in at our house. We wipe our feet and then we take our shoes off and we got a whole stack of shoes by the door. 
So the Jewish people, whenever you were out in the world where there might be Gentiles and unclean people, when you came home, you would shake the dust off your feet because you didn't want any of that unclean Gentile dust in your house. Even more so, if there was a town that was just really despicable and you were like, ugh, like, let's say you go across Pigeon Creek and you're coming back, they pull over and you shake your feet off and that shows everybody, I don't want any of this east side nonsense on my feet. I'm not going to soil the west side by bringing any east side dust over here. So that was a Jewish practice. So when Jesus says... If they don't welcome you, shake the dust off your feet. Well, the other thing that did was it made you not carry around the bitterness that those people didn't listen to me. Leave it. Move on. Don't don't dwell on the people that wouldn't listen to you. Just keep going city to city to city to city. And if somebody won't listen, leave. Go on. He gives this little tip. It'll be more bearable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. That's Jesus' job. Jesus' job is judgment, forgiveness, mercy, justice, all that, not yours. Now, incidentally, James and John, when they came back, they were like, Jesus, there's a city that didn't listen to us. Can we throw fire down on it? He was like, whoa, you guys need to chill. And he didn't. He did not give them fire flinging powers. Then he gives them a caution. This is verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men for they will deliver you over to your courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Some of this is going to be bad, you guys. Some of this is going to be rough. Some of it you won't be able to walk out of the town and knock the dust off your feet because they're going to arrest you for causing trouble and teaching crazy stuff, for healing people on the Sabbath. Uh, There's a part in Acts where they cast a demon out of a lady and the people that owned the lady, she was a slave, the people that owned her lost all their income because they made money off of her being demon-possessed. And so they throw the guys in jail because they ruin these guys' business. It's not, it's not going to be all, all healing. But when they deliver you over, don't be anxious about how you're to speak or what you are to say. Because that's part of the plan. You guys getting locked up is part of the plan. You guys getting dragged before courts is part of the way the kingdom of heaven is going to be spread. That is, Jesus is saying that this right here is to say, don't freak out and be scared. He'll say it a little bit later. If they don't like me, they're not going to like you. And not everybody likes me. And so just know that that's part of it. That's how Paul, when they got thrown in prison, and, and James and Peter, when they got thrown in prison, they could sit in the prison and sing hymns and worship God in the middle of the night while they're chained up. Because they're like, this is exactly what Jesus said was part of the plan. Wow. Now what happens? Right? He goes on to talk about um, families being split apart 
and, and that they're going to be hated. He says in verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So some people read this and they were like, well, this can't be true. Because these guys went to every city and the end of the world didn't come. I don't think this is a, a measure of chronology of how long it's going to take. I think it's a promise that you'll always have a place to run to until the end of the age. Because doesn't he say that at the end of Matthew? I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. You will not wear out. You will not run out of places to hide or to live or to stay ever until the, until the Son of Man comes. And then verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. This whole little bit is, you know, I mean, just think. These guys are, I mean, Peter is pretty old. He's probably 21. <laughs> These other guys are a lot younger. These other guys are in the 16, 15 year old range. And I mean, culturally speaking, nowadays, these guys would be considered like people in their mid to late 20s, just stage of life wise, right? Um, They'd all be right around the age to get married, basically, except Peter's a little bit older. He's ahead of them. He's already married. And, And he's sending them out. If you were... If I was a 16-year-old and all of a sudden I had power to cast out demons and to heal anybody, I would be pretty arrogant about that. I'd be arrogant about it at 45, right? Um, He's saying, guys, don't try to be bigger than me. Don't try to be bigger than Jesus. It is enough for you to just be like Jesus. And if you try to live your life to be like Jesus, you know, it's a whole lot just to try to be like Jesus. Even that's a big deal. Don't try to top him. But at the same time, don't have any fear. Don't have any fear of the people that come against you. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. He's saying, don't be afraid. Proclaim the message. Um, I... We, I've got a funny thing that I do at work, and um, and I've I've taught I've taught my kids this too, my older kids of course. Um, but if I'm at work, and somebody just starts laying out the cuss words and and being lewd and offensive, I ha- I get really religious, and I just talk about Jesus, because if we're if we've entered into this world where we're not going to be afraid of offending each other then I'll tell you, I'm, I'm praying for people to have miracles happen and praying for healings. And, and oh, you know, Susie in accounting had, threw her hip out. I'm going to pray for her to, have, to be miraculously healed and back by the end of the week. And, you know, Jesus, he said he's the only way, and so I'm going to ask him to show us the way. Be offensive. And, um, and it's only come up one time of... You're just talking like that. I'm like, dude, you dropped the F-bomb on me four times. If we've established we can't offend each other, I'm going to drop my J-bomb. Let's go. 
Jesus saves. That guy took it really good, but he didn't stop. Um, Don't be afraid. Don't fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's so wild, the stuff that we are afraid of, isn't it? And the stuff that we make up in our head. Oh, if I say this, then they might. And this, and oh, and I'll be. And it's like, gosh, it never happens that way. It never turns out that bad. Jesus says this awesome thing. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We're, I was talking to all the kids, and the big thing on the news for a while with the coronavirus was uh, so-and-so died alone. And that was the thing, the news was just really big. Every news story of everybody dying was how alone they were. And I said, you guys, Jesus is always with you. God is always listening. He cares about you. He is so close to you. And, uh, and then we had friends that went and worked for a Samaritan's Purse in New York City. And uh, they were working for a Samaritan's Purse and helping people that were dying. And this one lady, she wrote us a letter and she's like, I got to touch somebody. I got to hold this lady's hand. And it was the first time she had been held, first time she had been touched in five weeks for non-medical reasons. Does that make sense? And, um, and the person said, can you just hold my hand? Can you just keep holding my hand? And I said, you guys, Jesus is always holding our hand. You might not feel it. He is always there. He never sleeps. He never rests. We never have to worry about being alone. We never have to despair about being alone because he's always, always with us. And here he is, Jesus saying, you guys, sparrows are like a dime a dozen. Like no one, you do not, you're driving down the highway. The sparrows are out there eating French fries in the middle of the road. Do you slow down for sparrows? You might, one of those cool woodpeckers, you might for some awesome hawk, sparrows, schmarrows, right? I'm mowing them down. Uh, Traffic is more important than a sparrow. If God cares about them, you know he cares about you. You're made in his image. He died on the cross for your sins. He is so close to you. So whoever acknowledges me, I will acknowledge them. Whoever denies me, I will deny them before my father. I always think this is wild because Peter was hearing this. And Peter himself would deny Jesus. And Jesus would bring him back. Right? So even though Jesus gives this strong thing, if we stay with Jesus, if we continue to persevere with him, we can see he does does rebuild, he does forgive. He talks about some divisions that he brings and and some, um, you know, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me. It's just saying Jesus has got to be it. He He is worth it all. If we turn our lives into worship of any other thing. Now, I can totally love my kids and serve Jesus by loving my kids, right? But there's this, there's this just weird, nuanced way that Jesus is king over all. It's all because of Jesus. And, um, 
And I even try to tell my kids, I'm like, oh gosh, guys, Jesus is so good. I love you guys so much, but Jesus loves you more. And that, that's one way that that works is to convey to them, I love Jesus more than I love you. No. I mean, that, that's going to cause some confusion for a six-year-old, right? Um, but to convey to them that Jesus loves them more than you do, that starts that that path of where he becomes the goal. I mean, we talked about it earlier. All these disciples, how in the world does, does a tax collector sit down to eat with a zealot? Because they love Jesus more than their political party or their job, right? All right, so then Jesus says the whole point of this whole thing, verse 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus, when he says, take up your cross and follow me, he's saying, when you sign up to follow Jesus, you are giving up your life to him. You're making it his and not yours. It's really strong language. Um, This is... William Barclay's commentary. He's my favorite commentator, only he's a little weird sometimes. But this one is good. So this is talking about Jesus saying to take up the cross. Jesus knew what crucifixion meant. When he was a young boy of about 11 or 12 years of age, Judas the Galilean led a rebellion against Rome. So this is the guy, Judas the Galilean was the guy that they said, anybody that pays taxes to Rome, we're going to burn your house down. So this is when Jesus is like 11 or... This is, so this all comes from the history of Josephus, who is a Jewish historian. Um, he raided the royal armory at Sepphoris, which was four miles from Nazareth. The Roman vengeance was swift and sudden. Sepphoris was burned to the ground. Its inhabitants were sold into slavery and 2,000 of the rebels were crucified on crosses, which were set in lines along the roadside so they'd be a warning to others that tempted to rebel. To take up our cross means to be prepared to face things like that for loyalty to Jesus. It means ready to endure the worst that anyone can do to us for the sake of being true to him. So when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he knows what that looks like, because when he was 12 years old, he saw the roads lined with 2,000 crucified men. Isn't that wild? So he, he knew what he was asking the disciples to do. It, it is no different today. It is no different today that, that when we become his disciples and we become his followers and we seek after him and we live for him, we are giving up everything else. And now, okay, I live in a you know, $100,000 home. I drive an awesome minivan. I got an iPhone. Um, it doesn't mean that we're all, pop, we're all paupers you know, eating dirt for lunch. But it means everything we own, everything we do is for him and for his glory and for following him. And anything that we have that doesn't bring him glory, if, we, if we've got something in our house and we're like, I know that that is against God and that does not bring him glory, that Jesus doesn't love that. That's the stuff, 
we got to toss. And it's different for everybody, right? Um, some people stumble and sin over one thing, and other people stumble and sin over other things. It, it's it's where, how we're interacting with Jesus and how we're loving Jesus and living for Jesus. But whoever find, this whole, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we're constantly seeking, how can I experience maximum pleasure? How can I be the happiest? Right? I am going to lose Jesus. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to forget about him. If I'm looking for Jesus, Jesus, what can be, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to live? I'll go wherever you want me to live. And then this happened. Car pulls up in front of our house while we're moving in. On the day we're moving into our house, we have two of our kids that are sleeping on sleeping bags on a wood floor because we don't have beds. We're moving into our house. We're carrying furniture in. A truck pulls up with a bunch of mattresses. And the guy says, do you guys need bed mattresses? Because we have extras that we don't want. We're like, what? Our kids slept on those mattresses until they were teenagers. One of them's moved out of the house, right? Those mattresses, just out of nowhere. There they are. Um, He gives us everything we need as we seek him, as we follow him. He says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. That God himself is in us to carry his message out. And when somebody shows up at your door, when when somebody is in need, and you serve them and you help them, Matthew 25 says, you're helping the Lord Jesus. You're helping him himself. There he is. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Which flips back to the whole humility thing. If these guys were so desperate that they couldn't even carry their own water, (laughs) right? And they show up with the message that the kingdom of heaven is coming, but I don't even have my own glass of water. That turns, that's, that's not the way Rome advanced, right? That's not the way kingdoms of this world advance. It all goes back to humility. So this is good. It's, it's good. It's a whole good section about discipleship and just gives us a chance to, to seek the Lord and to ask him, how can I follow you, Jesus? How can I be your disciple? How can I make more disciples? And... Um, it's not necessary that we have to all go home and sell our houses and give everything up and eat dirt in Ed's backyard for the rest of our lives. We'll be over, we'll be over it too. Um, but gosh, we don't want to suddenly realize we're holding on to stuff that's holding us back, right? Because Jesus is worth it and he's better and, and awesome. So how about if I pray? Lord, thank you that we get to do this. Thank you that you have called us to be your disciples and that you empower us to do it. You give us the strength and you give us the ability. And we praise your holy name, Lord. Help us to do it this week. Help us to go out and to be your disciples. Help us to tell people that your kingdom is at hand. And Lord, give us the power to cast out demons and to heal the sick and raise the dead that um, we can proclaim your kingdom and show it off too. We praise you, Lord.
Amen. All right, church. God bless you guys.